0: Do you live your life like tomorrow matters? Perhaps you're already growing food, consuming less, connecting with your community. Perhaps you're already thinking hard, keen to see the world a little slower, greener, healthier. But where to begin?
1: Here on the Future Studying Podcast, we dig deep into the hearts and minds of blissfully normal people doing bloody amazing things unearthing their moments of contradiction, their hopes and fears for the future, and what galvanises them to action, in the name of inspiring all of us to do a little more in shaping a better future today. I'm Katie. And I'm Jade. And
0: this is Future Steady.
1: Knows who we've got on the line because we're feeling pretty excited and a little bit starstruck to be chatting (laughs) with you today. You are Jess Scully, you're the Deputy Lord Mayor of Sydney, author of Glimpses of Utopia, which is 409 pages of positive solutions to our collective challenges, which I've really loved recently, and someone who's working super hard and extremely effectively to shape a sustainable and inclusive future. So, Jess, we're very, very grateful for your time today, and we'd love to start by asking. How you came to be the person that you are, and what your childhood entailed.
2: Boy, you're just going way back there. Um, thank you, Katie. It's such a pleasure to be here. I love what your um the, the way you're approaching this idea of, of having an empowered future, one that has everyone playing a part. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Uh, I look to go way, way back. I guess. Um. I think uh, my, my parents are both really optimistic people. Um, they see opportunity and excitement in everything. And um, while that sometimes drives me a little bit crazy, um, mm-hmm. I, I also, I think it's one of the most wonderful um, things that they've given me
1: to, to believe
2: that I am capable of learning how to do things and to, that, that seem hard at first. Um, and that. I think really, really crucially that, um, that I, I deserve to have my voice heard and I think that's something that was, is really formative and I, I don't know if every kid has that opportunity and I think that has been a key part in um, helping me feel empowered and, and um, entitled to have my voice heard or have an opinion and have a say. It's something really fundamental, and I, I think only as I've gotten older have I realized that that's really the, uh, I guess, the superpower that I have is that I um, have been given a sense that I have the the right to have a say and that my to have my ideas heard. Um, and I think I, I hope that I pass that on to my daughter, and I hope um, I hope all kids have that have that instilled in them, in, or, or have that opened. That opportunity opened up for them because the world would be so much richer and we would reach our solutions faster if we could draw on more imaginations and have more people um, stepping forward to solve problems as well.
0: Jess, we talked to lots of people uh, on the pod who are doing the most incredible things, but not yet have we spoken to anybody who's put their vision and their ability to articulate solutions and their understanding of kind of the issues that we're facing no one yet that we've spoken to has put that energy into politics <laughs> what, what was it that, and I think it's really important and that we've been kind of scrapping around trying to identify the you that we needed to talk to because, you know, it's really important that we have people that are activating and pushing change and, you know, way out there on the edges of the margins um, and challenging the systems at all tiers of influence and but mostly we're dealing with people who are at a grassroots level and it would be great to know how you got into politics and why it is that you why you chose politics to be the vehicle for your messaging
2: yeah look um i think you know we we got this ready-made set of of tools for social decision making and that's what politics is that's all that politics really is it's um it's a way that people have worked out to um, work out what what the the priorities are, um, and then debate through the possible solutions, and then decide on a way forward. At its essence, that's what politics should be. But unfortunately, there are a lot of undemocratic influences that have corrupted or perverted or distorted that process or that have made that process less representative than it should be. And so I think my intention is to try and correct that imbalance and to say because time is short um, and we have to take action on the climate emergency, on the on the social injustice emergency that we're dealing with as well. Um, we need to use the tools that we have today to try and get better outcomes. Um, And I think we get better outcomes when we have more representative people making decisions and we have more a diverse diverse range of voices having their input into that. And I wanted to be a part of that and I felt like I had a skill set that could lend itself to it. Um, But that came about for me because uh, of the leadership of Clover Moore, who is our Lord Mayor uh, in Sydney. And, you know, I had admired her work forever and I could see the transformative impact that she had had in this city in Prioritizing sustainability, centering um, the experience of the of the most marginalised in our community, and valuing their contribution, making sure people felt supported, as well as valuing the arts and creativity. And so, when she offered me the opportunity to run on her team, I I had to say yes. And you know, I've always been really passionate about cities and about this city in particular, um, and. But I kind of thought that local government and politics was something that I would do in retirement. It just kind of seemed like a thing, you know, you, you, have, you might have a family, you might have a career, and then down the line, you might go into local politics. It seemed like a thing that older people did. Uh, But then when the opportunity came up in 2016, I had to jump at it so that I could learn from her and understand the opportunity and hopefully be that more representative, uh, you know, contribute to a more representative um, kind of local leadership as well.
1: I'm going to be uh, playing gossip columnist here, but what's it, what's it like to be Deputy Lord Mayor? Do you have to uphold a certain professionalism and image or are you trying to bring a more human and complex lens to our you know, official representatives?
2: Yeah, I, I, I do kind of sometimes think, should I be using this many emojis in an official... <laughs> is this an official communication? Is this okay? How many emojis is too many emojis? Can I wear sneakers to that meeting? Um, these are the big struggles that I'm wrestling with. Um, it's, it's true. It's like, you know, you don't want to, um, you know, you want to have respect for it and you want to, want to understand that like, it's, it's a responsibility that I have to do this job, but like, I also part of the problem is like everything being quite formal and stuffy excludes people right and so um and 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 that's why maybe it's one of the reasons why we only ever hear from a tiny minority of people we don't hear from most people so i think it's my job to try and um humanize it as you say or just kind of make it all more accessible and relatable um, and that's why I will continue to use emojis, Katie. I'm going for to... <laughs>
0: that. <always>
1: <laughs> that's really wonderful to hear because I always, when I was thinking back on my uni days, it's the people who had that beautiful eloquence and could articulate their arguments so powerfully that kind of rose to the top. And I feel like they get into politics, which is great when they're wise and broad, you know broadly minded and trying to do good in the world but it also like you said like he said kind of selects for a certain type of person and so how is it that we bring in these other voices that might not actually have the words to express what it's like to be in this group or this group how do we hear from those people and value what they have to say
2: I, I totally agree with you like you know I, I was never one of those people that was like in the debating team or you know wanted to to go to like UN mock trial or whatever the the various things were like, and, and I I feel like there's a sort of a pathway that people go down and they become very good at the um, mechanics of it, you know, like the formal tools of of governance and and debate and and they join political parties and all that sort of stuff, which is which is fine, you know, and and of course it's. It's a form of public service, really, to do that. But, um, but I think it also removes, it, it removes the opportunity for a lot of people who have had other things to do or have had other life experiences or other priorities. Um, so how do we open it up? It's tricky because, you know, governments generally only hear feedback in a certain way. And so my concern is that if we focus too much on, you know, on, on online petitions or social media or the kinds of ways of organising or, or communicating with people that we might be more used to in our normal lives, we can generate a lot of heat and light but we might not get, you know, the energy, the outcome that you need, right? So we have to find ways that we can we can galvanise and, and, and um, focus the energy of a lot of people and the people who are usually left out of the conversation, but make sure that it's heard in the ways that governments hear feedback, right? So, for example, you know, when there's a planning law change, so in local government, you know, all decisions around land use and what gets to happen on a piece of land or, you know, whose, whose values or needs are prioritised when it comes to policy choices or the way that we spend money or offer grants, all of those things have very formalised feedback mechanisms where we go on public consultation, we ask for submissions, you have to get submissions in a certain time and in a certain way. And most people just don't pay attention, are busy, don't feel like that process is for them. And they just don't even, they might not even be aware of it, but it can have an impact in their lives. So um, I suppose what I want to do is, is try and spread the word through unconventional channels about the ways that you can have feedback through those conventional channels and also to let people know that your submission, I'm doing air quotes here, your, your input or your submission, it doesn't need to be complicated. It, does, it just needs to, in dot points like you'd write an email, let people know your perspective or, or what you think isn't being considered. And and the City of Sydney has a process, a a website called uh, Sydney Your Say, uh, which kind of lists all of those things that we go out to community consultation on. And quite often, when you click through, they're just a really simple, like, survey monkey style survey. And that is a perfectly valid way of having an input, just kind of, you know, a multiple choice yes or no, here's what I think. Um, And that might be an easy way to get involved. And then there are probably slightly more, slightly harder or, or one level up a uh, way of getting involved. And that's like writing an email, you know, finding out first of all who represents you um, around different issues and then writing an email to, to let people know what you're passionate about or what you think needs to be considered, uh, particularly as it relates to certain proposals or ideas that are coming forward. Uh, and I think, I think that's really, really important because You know, we tend to hear, as I said, from this very narrow band of people, and we tend to hear from people when they're in opposition to something, when they don't think, you know, that playground should be built or that cycleway should be built or that new affordable housing project should go ahead. But we very rarely hear from people who are in support of things. Um, Mm. We don't hear from people who want, who who are proactive around changes um, that might, uh, might change or disrupt the status quo but might have a beneficial impact or or that might be benefiting a group that isn't here yet, you know, it might be benefiting future generations, it might be benefiting people who might be able to live in that housing if it was more affordable, for example. So I, I talk about, you know, I talk about yimbies because there's this concept of nimbies not in my backyard, people who say, you know, I like those things but just not in this neighbourhood. But I need to hear from, and all of your elected representatives need to hear from people who are YIMBYs, who say, yes, in my backyard, yes, I want solar panels, yes, I want, you know, more green space, yes, I want um, cycleways and affordable housing. Um, we need those positive voices as counterweights um, to the to the voices of opposition that we often hear.
0: Jess, I want to ask you on a really personal Level, you are as human as they come, and that's really inspirational for me. But um, in your humanness, you've somehow also managed to be an absolute voice for the arts and for social justice advocacy. And you're a mum, and you're a, an author, um, and a celebrated politician. That, I mean, that is a CV that intimidates even the most highly achieving humans how are you juggling the humanness and the reality of everything that you're biting off are you biting off and chewing like crazy and then just doing your best to stay above water or do you have some kind of rhythms and rituals and routines that um, would be great to share
2: um first of all I'm coming here every day um thanks Jade that was amazing um this is the, this is the kind of ego bath that I have been longing for, um, this <laughs> so thank you. That was all so lovely. Look, I'm mostly choking. Um, I think I am biting off a lot, a lot of the time and I'm mostly choking. And, um, I don't know. I think, I, I, I. the the things that make it possible for me to do the stuff that I do um, are are really the kind of invisible infrastructure of support that's all around me. You know, I have a most amazing husband who um, took a year off when we had our daughter so that he could be the primary carer um, in in the first year that I was Deputy Lord Mayor. Um, And that, you know, not everyone gets that. I'm so lucky, you know. I have you know, both of our families live just outside of Sydney, but they both have made themselves really available to come and help us with Ellie. And that is transformative. You know, I'm so fortunate in that regard. And I'm also really fortunate in that, you know, I've always had this sort of portfolio career where I do a little bit of lots of different things that's allowed me to sort of schedule um, and and try and make some kind of a living while also doing council. So I have I have so much help and that's what makes it really possible but but I do I do feel exhausted um a lot of the time and and stressed out and I do feel um worn down a lot by the the sort of relentless toxicity of the the adversarial nature of our political life um and I do often feel um Disheartened by decisions that get made at, at other levels of government uh, that that I feel are, are taking away some of our potential or making it harder for us to build a fairer world and and it's you know I feel a lot and I have a lot of you know my emotions are very close to the surface and I I find that hard to deal with and and so you know I have it I have a I go to therapy I have a you know so I have a psychologist I have a coach who who I talk to about this stuff. And I think, you know, I think the key thing that is useful is telling people that you're vulnerable and it's difficult and you need help um, and that it wears on you. um, And that you never feel like you're doing enough. um, And and that I second guess myself all the time. And and I and you know and I also work in this incredible team of people um, you know, people like Jess Miller, who's an amazing, you know, environmental um, activist and advocate and, and Philip Fallis, who's an amazing urbanist and, and designer and um, architect and, you know, so, you know what, I, I, I forget the question, but I do feel like it's people, having people around you who can share the load and who, who you can talk to honestly about how you're feeling and, and then telling people when you do feel overwhelmed as well. Um, and then, you know, I, I think trying to be honest about it all is probably the, the best thing that I can do.
0: In, among, in amongst all of the, well, not all of it, but just the often human um, sense of disillusionment and, and overwhelm, what is mm. it that brings you a sense of hope?
2: Um, there are so many amazing people everywhere, and they're all like, there's there's all these amazing people, and whether they're cared about, the, you know, whether whether they care about like one bird and they're battling to save that bird, or they care about, you know, a whole discipline or a community, or you know, or like there are every day I meet people who are just putting their all of their passion and their capacity into making positive change, and that is incredibly inspiring. And, you know, through writing the book, I got to meet people all over the world who are making change and modelling alternatives. Uh, but I just meet them all the time. You know, I'll, I'll take my daughter to the playground and start talking to, to to someone there and find out that, you know, she's working on, on um, you know, this is something that happened last week. You know, she, she's she's working to help people transition to careers that are about purpose and meaning and and, and social impact. And, you know, this is just, just random people you meet Um standing next to the slide you know and uh I find that incredibly um uplifting and it, it's always people I think that give me that feeling and you know having um a young daughter it makes it a huge difference as well because I kind of see the wonder of the world again um, as she experiences it too. Yes,
1: yes I feel um, disheartened often when decisions are made, and I guess I'm speaking politically here, but decisions that are economically viable, they always have to stop, start and stop with money. And I'm wondering yes. how you stand up for all of these wealths and values that we have um, right next door to us, you know, elders and arts and creativity and beauty and storytelling, and I, I know you do stand up for those things. What is your method of kind of defending those less economically viable but incredibly important and potent elements of our culture?
2: Mm -hmm. It's a a hard one because um, you you can go two ways with it. You can can either defend the economic impact that those sectors have, you know, um, and that is a valid and and actually a, a powerful and compelling argument. You know, there are more people who are employed in the care sector um, or in the arts than in the extractive economy. You know, there are more people in the caring and creative sector that employs more people. It has a, a more positive social um, outcome. Uh, you know, it it leads to budget savings in the long run. All of those arguments are valid but then you just end up falling into an economic argument and you almost um fall into that habit of giving every you know knowing the the price of everything and the value of nothing and i had this this debate with um a, a lakota woman i interviewed in the book um stephanie gutiérrez who she and i talked talked about you know how how do we how do we value and pay for indigenous knowledge and um and community wealth building in a First Nations context. And we both wrestled with this idea of, well, do you put a, do you quantify everything and put a value on it and put a, and then, and then make the argument that way? Or do you say, this is intrinsically human stuff. You know, this is the stuff that makes, that that is, that is actually the core humanity that that we're, um, that we're trying to preserve, that the economy is supposed to serve. So, um, so that's the constant tussle is is whether is between the intrinsic value of of caring arts and culture of, of the stuff that is society, um, and the um, I guess accounting value of it um, that can be easily calculated by how many people and employees and the the impact on GDP and. I find myself taking, using both of those arguments um, often and I find it hard to reconcile sometimes, you know, when I use the transactional mindset, I sometimes feel a bit dirty about it because um, because there is something fundamentally human that needs to be, that that should be valued, I think, above those, above, above kind of a, a line item return. Um, but then again, you know, you're competing against the, the, the the value of education or or healthcare and all of these other things that are also intrinsically important uh, but also cost money and and money has to be allocated between these competing needs. So I wrestle with that all the time. I haven't I haven't found a a, a comfortable place between those two ways of talking about the value of of the arts, culture, and care.
1: Yes, it's a tricky one. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean your book. So your book is fabulous and it's called Glimpses of Utopia, but do you have an expansive kind of technicolour visual of Utopia that you could tell us about? I know that you speak about um, not, not universal basic income but like universal basic services and things like that. Can you share some of those really extraordinary ideas that have come through in your book?
2: Oh, wow. Um, look, I have got a sort of like uh, Frankenstein's monster but in a good way like a composite image of, of a really fabulous place, um, but it changes all the time. Um, as You know, I learn about something new and think, oh, we should have like the forests of Costa Rica and we should have the transport system and, you know, like, uh, but that's a sort of a, a kind of mental game uh, sort of thing. Um, for me, it's a really fundamental basic idea, um, which is, for me, a utopia is a place um, that values and includes everyone. And so there are infinite pathways to get to that place, Um, and you could take so many different policy pathways to get there, or 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 try different sort of um, policy proposals to get to get there. And so those things that you describe, like universal basic services, for example, it's not that that is um, a thing that would define a utopia. It's just an enabling factor to get to that core idea of utopia, which for me is everyone feels valued, everyone feels like they're making a contribution and everyone has their voice heard. And universal basic services which is just to explain it's um, it's sort of different to universal basic income because rather than giving everyone money um, and saying, okay now go use this money to get the goods and services and the, the things that you need, it says well let's just fund as a society those things that people need. Um, so let's just fund um housing and transport and internet and care and education. Um and, and let's and that doesn't mean let's let's provide one of those services for everyone and you must everyone must have the same thing. All of those services could be delivered by local locally um distinctive and locally relevant and useful entities that could be managed and run in different ways. They could be not-for-profits, they could be cooperatives, they could be, you know, commercial businesses, you name it. But the there is an expectation that society provides that. And that would reduce the, the load on people and hopefully give more people the ability to To have their voices heard, to feel valued, to feel seen, and you know, back back to kind of being—it's enabling architecture for that utopian state of everyone feeling valued and 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 able to contribute. Um, So there's that. I mean, there's there's all of these different policy proposals that I think would lead us there. And the ones that were really exciting to me um, in the book um, were around things like tax and um, you know how what we what we incentivize through tax and what we um, sort of penalize or want to get less of and and the way that we can use tax to to make that happen um, because one of the big challenges we have to face as well or, or we have to address is how do you pay for this stuff um uh, what else was great oh there was that and then there were there were some other interesting things in there that um, were about um how society invests in, in in certain corporations and underwrites the activities of certain industries and how do we extract some of that value back to society. Um, I found that that would be really useful sort of enabling architecture for my utopia because it would mean that we would have enough money to pay for those universal basic services that I was talking about earlier. Um, and then there were some other points um, that really resonate with me around you know how we design cities and how we Um, determine who derives the value from the creative and social activity of our cities. So, you know, you live in a city, you live wherever you live, um, you know that the the housing and land prices just keep going up and up and up. Um, And one of the key concepts that I discuss in the book is that it's not the land itself that is doing anything creative or innovative that is generating that 5% value increase every year. It's the activity of the human beings who live around it, who pour the coffee in the cor- on the corner or who, you know, run that community garden or who, um, you know, might be running, operating the bus or whatever it is that, that's adding value to that location. But But yet one person or one entity extracts the value from that as the landowner in the form of property prices going up and up and up. And that can have a really antisocial outcome. It can cut a lot of useful and productive uses out. Um, you know, like it's almost, it's kind of a, it's like blasphemy in Australia to talk about about land value. Um, but it is, I think, one of the kind of key things that that stops good and creative and interesting things happening. But anyway, I can clearly talk all day long about my enabling utopian um, machinery, um, but but. In, in essence, it's one really, really simple idea, which is how do you make everyone be a part of society and an active citizen.
1: We all want to feel valued. And um, mm. I'm wondering, when, when do you feel your most valuable self? When are you kind of in your element and happiest?
2: Um, You know, I guess it's when something works. <laughs> it's like it, the thing about, about local politics, I guess politics of any kind, is that that good stuff takes time um and sometimes you get a little payoff you know you'll you'll go through an 18 month or 2 year process and then at the end something changes in our planning law and people can stay open late and then i walk past those shops and they're open late and people are in there and i just go wow or you know i i was at, i was at a park the other day and i overheard two ladies talking about um how wonderful um this this particular park was and the, and the trellis was and how you could you could tell the care that was given to this place and that it made them feel good to live there and like i almost had a cry you know like so it, it's just when people i guess when people notice um and when it makes a positive impact in people's lives and then i get a little kind of like a little endorphin rush and i think yeah i could keep doing this for a while this is pretty good <laughs>
1: yes you need the affirmations from the outside world because it sounds like you do have a lot on your plate as a lot of us do and you need those little pops of you know we can give you pep talks and I'm glad that people in the park can give you a surreptitious pep talk too
2: thank you now I know where you are I will come for my pep talks but I will also be strolling the parks eavesdropping on everybody um we normally
1: just kind of wrap up we're coming to the end itch of our conversation and we really like asking if you'd like to dispense a piece a nugget of wisdom um to round out the combo just about what a simple a simple action that people can take maybe to connect with a neighbor or to start that culture of inclusivity there's so many things that we can do i think the first thing is to
2: realize that you are empowered um, that you actually do have agency. Um, I think one of the challenges that we have today is that we tend to live our lives in this sort of disembodied online way. Um, and I love living online, but really politics and social change um, has to be rooted in a uh, in place. Um, politics is geographic. Um, and so I think the first thing I would do is, is figure out who represents you. Um, you know, you might know your state and federal politicians very you know, you might know who they are very clearly, um, but you might not know as much about who your local representatives are. And quite often, you can have quite meaningful impact at a local government level. So find out who represents you, and have a look at who you think might um, align with your values based on on what they're interested in, um, and see. Just start to follow them. Start to see what they're into. Um, see if they share information about issues in your local area that you might be interested in. Um, so I think you can either focus geographically or you can then and, and make change that way in the place that you're in or you make change um, around a domain of expertise or knowledge. So that might be the field that you work in. It might be your particular passion or interest um, or something that you're passionate about. And then, again, figure out how you can have impact on that topic in in a political way, which is in a geographic way, essentially. Um, are there policies or places or proposals or um is there any activity around furthering or curtailing that interest um, that is that is being decided on and can you have your voice heard in that context and then there are other there are other bigger things that i think we need to try as a community um and something that i'm really passionate about us pursuing um is the idea of a a citizen's convention on climate. Uh, I, I really want Australia to have uh, a a more representative conversation about climate action and, in particular, you know, how we recover from the COVID crisis in a way that is, um, has climate justice at its core. And so I'm going to be working on, with a lot of different people, a way that we can really push for that conversation to happen because I think most people um, are really generous and f- far-sighted and and community-minded, and um, if we had more representative decision-makers, I think we would get uh, more action on, on climate change and on climate justice as well. So, but but that's where I'd begin.
1: Thank you, Jess. That's extremely actionable Um, and it's just been a a delight to chat to such a deliciously normal human being Um, and I think that our listeners will really get a lot out of this um, conversation. So thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thanks so much, Jess. Politics really isn't where everybody chooses to place their energy. But I, for one, am absolutely delighted that you've chosen to get in there and shake things up with your humanness and your willingness to teach the rest of us how we can engage in the political process. So really, truly thanks for squeezing us into your multi filled life. Next Monday for episode 14 of series two, we're introducing you to a really beautiful soul who we nearly actually didn't get here because she's just not one to seek the limelight. But as a mother who has transitioned her life over the last couple of years from a bustling inner city existence to one that treads exceptionally gently, And even in the way she writes her blog and curates her website, everything she does is is beautiful and nourishing and gentle. We thought that she was exactly the kind of voice that needs to be heard. So the beautiful woman that I'm speaking of is Steph from Green and Growing Things. She's now based in Tassie and she's with us next week for an hour of gentle nourishment. So join us. If you're enjoying series two, which we're now halfway through please let us know by dropping us a line on our socials or um, on the pod that you listen to pod platform and if you'd really like to keep the convos happening into series three you can support our efforts by simply jumping onto buy me a coffee at forward slash future where every cuppa that you buy us helps makes our days behind the mic just that little bit easier thanks again we will see you next monday